Welcome to the City Church Podcast, your home for all of the audio and sermons from City Church St. Petersburg. We meet every week at 10 a.m. at the Sundial AMC Movie Theater, 151 2nd Avenue North in beautiful downtown St. Petersburg, Florida. So if you've had any sort of discussion with me uh, pretty much since Christmas, um, you probably have heard me talk about uh, this new cookbook that I got. Um, and I've, if, if you're talking with me, I'm, I'm telling you about it. It's a, it's a cookbook, but there's stories in there. And maybe I, I told you about an anecdote that I read in there. It was really fascinating. Or, or maybe it's that, that I told you about this recipe that I cooked out of there and it was really good and it's the best, best chicken I've ever eaten. And maybe, maybe it was. I mean, but you have heard me in the past few weeks talk about this book called Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. In fact, just last week, uh, our opening illustration of the sermon, was generated by me thinking more about stuff from this book, Salt, Fat, Acid, Heat. And, and as I sort of been thinking about that, whether I've told you about a cooking experiment that I did that they suggested, or whether I told you the story about this, this author who decided to become a cook kind of by accident, whatever the case, even in talking about it now, I'm happy to talk about it. Why? Why am I excited to tell you about Salt, Fat, fat, acid, heat? The answer is quite simple. The answer to why I want to tell you about this book is that I like it. I like it. I enjoy it. Let me share that enjoyment with you. Maybe it's a story. Maybe it's a recipe. Whatever the case. The things that we found find valuable, meaningful, and beautiful are the things that we typically talk about. You, you want to know what somebody else, you want to talk to somebody and find out what they find to be valuable, meaningful, beautiful. Do you know what you can do? There's this trick, right? Now, I, I deal with people professionally, um, so I don't know if everybody knows this, but there's this really easy trick to find out what people find meaningful, valuable, and beautiful. Um, it's, it's that you listen to them. If you listen to somebody, what they'll do is they will tell you. You don't even have to ask. You don't even have to ask what they find meaningful. Ask what they found valuable. Ask what they find beautiful. If you just listen, they will tell you. Every one of us does this. Every one of us does this with big things and little things. Something as small as a cookbook. Something as small as what we're watching on Netflix that we're enjoying. Something as large as our hopes and dreams for our children. Whatever the case may be, if it's meaningful, if it's valuable, if it's beautiful, we're going to tell each other about it. So think about that. Think about that for your own life. Start to sort of chase that thread back to yourself. What is it that you like to talk about what is it that you are showing that you find to be significant what am I talking about now let's take a quick step over to Jesus not a big Jesus juke but it's a small Jesus juke because think about it this way 
This is a sermon after all. We don't share our faith. We don't tell others about our relationship with Jesus because we haven't had a meaningful encounter with Jesus. Because if, if we had a vital relationship with Jesus, if, if Jesus was meaningful, valuable, and beautiful to us, do you know what we would do? We would tell someone else about it. And this is, this is not just true. This is not just a defect of our faith. This is something that the church as a whole has struggled with for a long time. So this morning we find ourselves again in the gospel of John. And we find ourselves with some people that are going to tell others about Jesus. So we're going to read verses 35 through 51 of John chapter 1. I'm going to read it out loud. You can follow along. Uh, and I'd ask that you would please stand as we read this. The next day, again, John was standing with two of his disciples. And he looked at Jesus as he walked by and said, Behold, the Lamb of God. The two disciples heard him say this, and they followed Jesus. Jesus turned and saw them following and said to them, What are you seeking? And they said to him, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? He said to them, Come and you will see. So they came, and they saw where he was staying. And they stayed with him that day, for it was about the tenth hour. One of the two who heard John speak and followed Jesus was Andrew, Simon Peter's brother. He first found his own brother Simon and said to him, We have found the Messiah, which means Christ. He brought him to Jesus. And Jesus looked at him and said, You are Simon, son of John. You shall now be called Cephas, which means Peter. The next day, Jesus decided to go to Galilee, and he found Philip and said to him, follow me. Now Philip was from Bethsaida, the city of Andrew and Peter. Philip found Nathanael and said to him, we have found of whom Moses in the law and also the prophets wrote, Jesus of Nazareth, the son of Joseph. Nathanael said to him, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Philip said to him, come and see. And Jesus saw Nathanael coming toward him and said of him, Behold, an Israelite indeed in whom there is no deceit. Nathanael said to him, How do you know me? Jesus answered, Before Philip called you when you were under the fig tree, I saw you. Nathanael answered to him, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. And Jesus answered to him, Because I said to you, I saw you under the fig tree, do you believe? You will see greater things than these. And he said to him, truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God descending and ascending on the son of man. City Church, this is the word of God written nearly 2000 years ago and intended for us this morning. You may be seated. these verses have this kind of rapid fire feel to them. And then there was, then there was Andrew and Philip and Andrew's brother was Peter and Andrew went and got Peter. It's kind of all happening very fast, kind of jumping around. And, and John's doing that too, by the way, he keeps saying, and then on the next day, and then the next day this happened. And then, and then he sort of almost has us in a little bit of fast forward here. But if we slow down and we look at it, we see that these stories, while they don't have a lot 
of details. They're telling us of the first people to become followers of Jesus. Philip and Andrew were following. They were disciples of John. And John, as we talked about last week, was more concerned with Jesus getting credit, more concerned with Jesus being lifted up than he was his own ego, than he was his own reputation. And so when he sees Jesus walking by, he tells his disciples, who were, by the way, probably his patrons, probably the people financially paying for his ministry, hey, go follow that guy, not me. Go follow Jesus. That's the Lamb of God. That's the guy that you should be following. And now Andrew and Philip take this quite literally, right? They stop walking around with John, turn and start walking around with Jesus. And they have that sort of odd interchange, right? Jesus turns around and says, what do do you want? And they said, "Uh, we want to see where you're staying at. (laughs) And Jesus says, okay, come and see. On the surface, that seems like a strange interaction. But what's interesting is that they followed him. And there's, there's a very literal sense in which they followed him because he went back to where he was staying and they also went back to where he was staying. Went literally, physically followed after him. But there's something else going on here, isn't there? What's, what's going on here is that they're not just following him by, by putting their feet in his footsteps, by, by going to the same place as he goes. What they're actually doing is following him with their entire life. What they're actually doing is taking seriously what he says. Because it's not just them acknowledging, oh, John said that's the Lamb of God. Okay, noted. Going to jot that down. If anybody asks who the Lamb of God is, I know it's that guy. So that's nice. Got that going for me. No, they actually start to follow him. They actually start to change what they're doing. Their lives are different. Come and follow me is an incredibly high demand of Jesus. Because come and follow me is something that involves every aspect of our life. It involves every part of who we are. If, if Jesus' call, if Jesus' invitation to you and to I, to you and to me, sorry, objective case, to you and to me, if that invitation to come and follow him does not make you a little bit uncomfortable, you're not hearing it right. The invitation of Jesus to come and follow him is Jesus saying, I want to shape the way that you think about everything. I want to be in charge and I want you to follow me and the way that I think and talk about money, about sex, about power, about parenting, about all of these things. Jesus says all that stuff. I want to be in charge of that. And for most of us, we hear that and we kind of go, uh, everything can, I, can, can look Jesus Jesus hear me out if I were to let you if I were to follow you on 95% of my life that's an A can I get an A Jesus can I be an A Christian I want to be an A Christian Jesus I will follow you 95% of my life cool Jesus nah 
standard's perfection, y'all. Standard's perfection. Every aspect of our lives. Everything to be shaped by the message of Jesus. It, it even affects Peter. Peter didn't even get to keep his name. God says, nah, that's not your name anymore. You're, everybody's called you Simon. Nope. You're Peter now. Sorry, I'm even in charge of names here. He says everything. Everything even down, and this is, this is where it gets really difficult. Down to the level of our desires. See, it's easy to follow Jesus in a superficial way. It's easy to follow Jesus in a, I kept the rules. I only drive 55 type of way. But it's difficult to follow Jesus in a way that is forming us at the level of our desires. It's what I want. Another way to say that would be what I find valuable, meaningful, beautiful. But we'll get to that in a minute. No, this idea of desires. What motivates me? Why do I do the things that I do? Because here's the thing. Jesus is saying, I want you to follow me in those areas. I want you to follow me deep down at that level. Because you're following somebody. Your desires are daily being trained by something. Have you ever stopped and asked yourself, why do you want the things that you want? What is it that makes you want the things that you want? If you're here this morning and you're a Christian... If you begin to think and ask yourself, what is it that I desire? And what is it that is shaping my desires? Is the thing that's shaping your desires the same as your neighbor's? Are you being shaped by our culture more than you're being shaped by following Jesus? Are you being shaped by the way that you are being marketed to almost every waking hour of your life? Because you know what marketing is? Did we learn anything from Don Draper? Don Draper is out there trying to get you to desire something. Advertisement is trying to change you at the level of your desires. Are you thinking about that? How are you how are you changing the way that you think about that stuff? Because most of us, when it comes down to it, are just we're shaped by the same thing as our neighbor shaped, and we throw a little bit of Sunday morning Jesus on top. I still want the big square footage. I still want my kids to go to the right school. I still want the same thing that my neighbors want. I want to get that big sale. I've got goals that I'm gonna crush in 2020. And it's the same thing as our neighbors, and we just try to get Jesus to baptize it. Jesus says, no, if you follow me, I'm going to change, and I'm going to ask you to consider everything. All the way down to the level of desires. I might even change your name if I feel like it. And so, so we see this. We see these disciples sort of buying into this radical type of following, leaving what they're doing. And in other stories, it says that, that this story happens and they're out with their nets 
And Jesus says, come and follow me. And they just leave their nets and go. That would be roughly the equivalent of like, if you have a work truck of Jesus saying, come and follow me. And you're like, all right, well, you know, I guess I'll leave the keys on the, the floorboard or something and walking away from your work truck. I guess, I guess now I follow him and that truck's going to take care of itself. I guess, I guess that's a thing. That sort of following is what we see then in Andrew and Philip and Peter, and then we get to the Nathaniel part of it. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel's not jumping on board quite as quick. Philip comes and gets him and says, "Come on, come on, we found Jesus. He's the one that all the Old Testament's all about. He's from Nazareth." Now Nathaniel rightfully kind of goes, hmm, Nazareth? There? That's, you know Nazareth is in Pasco County. <laughs> you, know, you, know, you, know, you know Nazareth is, is close by to Port Ritchie. You know that, right? You know, you know, he has, you know, he's playing on those, he's, he's either, one of two things is happening here. Either he's playing on like stereotypes of like, oh, oh, like that, Right? Or, or he knows something. Or he knows that the Messiah doesn't, isn't born in Nazareth. The Messiah is born in Bethlehem. But either way, either one of these, whether, it's, whether his objection is um, being mean, like I was just mean to Pasco County, or whether it's because he knows that the Messiah is going to come from Bethlehem. Either way, he thinks he knows what's good and where good comes from. And one place the good doesn't come from is Nazareth. And there's that, that skepticism. That way that, that we often use knowledge as a shield from actually letting God deal with our hearts. The way we sort of hide behind how good we can talk religiously. The way that we can hide behind how much we know about the Bible or theology to prevent the gospel from sinking in. To prevent the gospel gospel from changing us at the level of our desires. To prevent us from following Jesus. We know a lot about the Bible. Look, let me let me give you let me give you an example of this to make this clear. The worst person in the world to tell that they're not right and that they're a sinner is a pastor. The hardest person to confront on their sin is a pastor. Why? Because I've seen every single way that there is to deny that I'm sinning, to, to kind of step aside and deflect and go, no, 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 that's not it. That's not it. I, I know how to, uh, you are, you are misperceiving the good thing that I am doing. So the problem isn't me in this scenario. The problem is you. <laughs> Look what I've done. I have turned the tables. And how many of us how many of you are guilty like me of this? Of using our knowledge of the Bible. Of using our knowledge of theology. Of using our Christian pedigree to stop the gospel from sinking in. To hide. 
to hide behind deflection, to hide behind denial, and not allow ourselves to truly be known. That's what I do. But thank God for Nathaniel. Because Nathaniel, when he's when Philip says to him, Look, man, I don't know about the geography of this, but let's just come and see this guy. Let's just go. Nathaniel dropped his skepticism. He dropped his cynicism, whether it was religious or Racial. He dropped that down low enough to go and see Jesus. And then we have sort of the cherry on top of strange interactions in the story. Where, where Philip is walking up and Jesus says, Ah, yes, look, it's Philip, an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And Philip says, How do you know me? And Jesus says, Ah, before, before when Philip came to get you, you were sitting under a fig tree. And then all of a sudden, Nathaniel's like, you, you knew I was sitting under a fig tree? And, and here's the funny thing. He's, he's totally in awe of completely the wrong thing. Jesus tells him, I know what kind of person you are. And Philip says, oh my gosh, you saw me under a tree. I mean, an entirely the wrong thing to be fascinated by. The wrong thing to see in Jesus. And Jesus says, look, if you're, if you're excited that I knew that you were sitting under a fig tree, just you wait, buddy. You're going to see angels ascending and descending on me, and it's going to be cool. Which is what we see all the time, and makes complete sense, and that verse is entirely self-explanatory to all of us, so there's no need for us as a church to think through that. No, something really, really interesting is going on here. When he says, look, there is a son of Israel who is not deceitful. He's everybody who is there who would have gone to to synagogue Sunday school. Everyone who is there who grew up in the faith would have heard these words that he's saying and gone, oh, he's Jesus is doing something funny here. Jesus is Jesus is talking about Jacob. Jesus is talking about Jacob, the grandson of Abraham, who steals his brother Esau's birthright. And then he steals it, and he does it by lying. He does it by being deceitful. And then he's on the run, because his brother, by all accounts, is roughly, Esau is roughly the description that George Lucas wrote of a Wookiee. He He is enormous, red hair, Hunter, who in order to impersonate him, Jacob must kill a goat and put the goat's skin on himself. Think about that. Okay, now come back. (laughs) He is on the run after deceitfully stealing his brother's birthright. And he has a dream. And this dream comes to him from God. And what do you think God is going to say to deceitful Jacob as he has just stolen the birthright? God says, yep, you get to keep it. In fact, all the blessings that I've promised to your dad, Isaac, and to your grandfather, Abraham, I'm going to give them to you too. God blessed Jacob in spite 
of his deceitfulness. Now, a little bit later, Jacob's name is going to get changed to Israel. And so as, as Nathaniel rolls into this, God says, Jesus says, Ah yes, a son of Israel who's not deceitful. The opposite of Jacob. And guess what? Guess who gets Jesus? Guess who gets the invitation to follow Jesus? Both Nathaniel and Jacob. See, because Jesus isn't just for the morally good. Jesus isn't just for those who have it together. He's for the good and the bad. The religious and the non-religious. Those who have it together and those who can't keep it together. And so Jesus tells the story of Jacob and he talks about the ladder, the ladder that he saw in his dream where angels were ascending and descending. He says, that ladder is talking about me. But it's not just angels that are going to ascend. It's not just the doors of heaven that are going to be opened up so angels can come and go because of me. No, rather when Jesus hangs on the cross, he makes a way for you and I to follow him to the new heavens and the new earth. He is the bridge. He is the ladder by which we can become children of God. Not just the angels, but faulty followers. People who try to get, and and we try to pass as 95% following Jesus, when in all likelihood we're probably at like 33. But, you know, we think we're at 95, so fine, keep thinking that. Jesus takes faulty followers like us and dies for them so that we might become the sons and daughters of God. And he's the only means by which that could happen. So good or bad, we come to Jesus and we submit to him. And what we find, what we find is that for us, he can be meaningful. Because of the way he knows us and loves us. He can be valuable for the way, because of the way that he makes us sons and daughters of God. He can be beautiful in the way that he was self-sacrificial to accomplish this all. And so this text is a call to you and to I to reorder our lives in a way that we come face to face with the value, the meaningfulness, the beauty of Jesus on a regular basis. This call is a reminder to follow him, to carve out intentional space to do what each of the men in this text did, which is to come and to see. And we do that, yes, through worship, but we do that through our personal worship. We do that at City Church through our CBR. We do that for any of the ways. We do that through the way of community that we come into contact with Jesus and his word and his people. And when that happens, we find him valuable. When that happens, he becomes more meaningful. When that happens, we begin to see his beauty. And when Jesus is meaningful, valuable, and beautiful to us, do you know what we're going to do? Do you know what the natural outflow of that is going to be? Do you know what the the thing that's just going to happen? We're going to tell others. Because we like it. May Jesus work that in your heart and mind this week. Let's pray.